Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, your host for today, and with me is Barnaby King, my co-host. Hello there. Hello, and how are you doing? I'm all right, but I've got a bunny who is desperately trying to get me to smush his head with my foot. Yes, he's a very strange boy. (laughs) Oh, now he's just sat next to me. Good boy. This is a nice distraction for the start of the podcast. It is, sure. I mean, for those who've just started listening to the podcast we have a rabbit mm-hmm. he's a house rabbit there's not just some mix. some strange creature who's entered our house and started demanding things oh that would be great though especially if it was like lombardi <laughs> actually we 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 have been looking for a second rabbit so it'd be quite good if another rabbit suddenly turned up and acted like him i don't think that rabbits are like cats they don't just turn up no not really all right so <laughs> <laughs> Apropos of that. Apropos of that. I'm just trying to find a good way to segue. There's no good way to segue. You don't need to find a way to segue. We don't we're not that smooth. I guess. We're not professional podcasters. No, no. I mean, yes, we're so amateur. I mean, I'm currently at home instead of working because I have the dreaded COVID. Dun dun dun. (laughs) Yes. Well you tested positive. I did. We've both been ill, as regular listeners will know, since we missed a week. Not last week, but the week before. I don't know, everything's just a bit weird here at the moment. It's very strange. Yeah. And so as a result of this, I've got to observe your daily routine. <laughs> it's not much of one, especially because I change it up when you're here. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because for one thing, I make you cups of tea and coffee and that. But also, I don't know, I just spend more time with you. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Normally I wander around trying to do stuff. (laughs) I mean, what I was referring to is the fact that you listen to the news of the morning. Yeah, I do. And there's a lot to say in the news at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot to say. So maybe it's time for us to go back to a simpler time. I'd like you to imagine that it's quarter to nine on Friday the 18th of April, 1930. And you're in a living room. Right. With other members of your family... You gathered around the new wireless. Darling, there's a rabbit trying to attack my feet. <laughs> well, keep him away from the wireless, for goodness sake, Harold. Ah, but it's wireless, you see. He's no problem there. That isn't what wireless means, darling, as well you know. Darling, I have used a Bluetooth app <laughs> to connect up the wireless. So, at this time, there is only one station you can listen to all in the UK, yeah, which is, of course, the BBC. So you turn on the BBC, ready for the news, and you get the following message. Good evening. Today is Good Friday. There is no news. Yay! And then there's 15, minu- 15 minutes of piano music. <laughs> Amazing. And then after that, it returns to broadcasting from the Queen's Hall in Langham Place, London, where the Wagner opera Parsifal was being performed. Amazing. That's it. <laughs> That's the news for today. There is no news and a rabbit is attacking my foot. <laughs> they wouldn't accept that kind of thing on the BBC in those days. That was back when they had to wear full, um, full evening oh, dress. yeah. Which apparently they did have a reason for this, namely that they used to get a lot of musicians and actors and things. Right. And so 
the presenters for the news wore full evening dress because the musicians were already wearing evening dress right. in preparation for the kind of live performances they were yeah. doing later on. But still, it gives it a certain tone. <laughs> it does, very much so. And this is, this is, I assume, the era of the sort of the, the strict uh, pronunciation guidelines. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. I mean, the BBC, as the British Broadcasting Corporation, has only existed for... Three years at this point. Wow. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> No yeah. one knows what they're doing. <laughs> no one knows what they're doing. And they've um, they basically... Apparently, if this- I speak into this microphone, you all can hear me in your <laughs> homes. I don't believe it personally, but, well, here we are. I mean, to be fair, it had actually been created as a company yeah. in 1922. And also, the Americans had loads of news stations. Yeah. But we were like... No. <laughs> oh, how uncouth. How horrible. We're not doing that. So yeah, no news today. Oh, okay. Of course, there was news happening in the world. Well, yes. Um, so for instance, in the empire, um, there was a Bengali freedom fighter called Surya Sen, who'd seized control of the armory in Chitangong. Oh, how beastly. Um, he, martial law had been proclaimed and troops had been sent out to quell the uprising. Um, in the BBC's defence... Yeah. No one could get any news from there right. because Sen had cut the rail and telegraph lines. Right. So that one's a bit understandable. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could report that you had nothing to report about that situation because of that. I, I feel like that's definitely the thing that would happen now. Nowadays, you'd go, Surya Sen has cut the railway and telegraph yeah. lines. Nothing's getting through to uh, Chitangong. Yeah. Um. Also, this was the time when the Salt March was happening in India, which I'm going to be honest, I'd not heard of before, but it's interesting. Um, Basically, Indians were not allowed to collect or sell salt under the Salt Act of the late 1800s. Okay. So that they had to buy it from the British. Oh, I see. Right. And then the British put massive taxes on it. Yeah. Obviously. And this was a really big problem because you know salt's importance i'm i'm just gonna have to stop you here because i'm a bit worried that you're saying that the british empire wasn't a wholly good thing and as we know from our government overlords and boris antoinette that you can't say that sort of thing the british empire was good and bad true maybe i'll find something to balance it out later on yeah i don't think that there's all right. Aside from the massive benefits to the British Empire of having the salt tax, I assume, I suppose. There we go. We made money we from made it. We made money from it. So it's all fine. It doesn't matter that, you know, hugely unethical ways to get it. No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, but basically, um, the massive taxes on this meant that it disproportionately ruined the lives of the poor Indians who could not afford to preserve their food. Well, if you're going to be woke about it, God. Yeah. And also, there's no mirroring between taxing specific goods and how it might affect the poorest in society nowadays, is there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cost of living crisis? What cost of living crisis? <laughs> Let them eat brioche. Okay, exactly. so um, actually, Gandhi and his followers were doing the salt march, which basically meant they went to the sea and started gathering salt. Oh, amazing. Because they wanted to prove that you could non-violently and non-aggressively break laws. And this is one of those laws where it was easy to break without hurting anyone. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a huge amount of salt right there. Like, literally. <laughs> it's called the sea. It's, it's called the sea. So they went into the sea. Like, they went into the sea and they gathered salt. Yeah. And then they got arrested for it. Like, that was the whole point. <laughs> um, so, literally, Gandhi's son Devdas had been arrested for doing this on the 17th of April. Wow. So there was a lot going yeah. on, to be honest. Yeah. And also, two days previously, Britain and the USSR had given each other favoured nation status. Oh, okay. So in terms of things going on in, in big terms, I guess there were lots of things that were happening. But at that time, the way they did the news seems to be, it has to be something that's happening now. Yeah. So we're not going to reflect on things that have happened before. Right, yeah. It, right? It, it, it's very much current events to the letter. Yes. Yeah. So I guess when we were listening to the news this morning, a lot of it is things that happened a couple of years ago, even, if yeah. we talk about Partygate. Mm. Um, I mean, in, or last it's now... <laughs> night with the most recent party. Oh, yeah, the most recent party. But that's not in lockdown, so it doesn't count. <laughs> no, it just happened to happen on the one-year anniversary of the uh, first of those hearts being painted on the COVID memorial wall. Yeah. And happened across from said COVID memorial wall. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. All right, so let's talk. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why the BBC was so particular and just went, nope, no news. Yeah. So we don't really know exactly why. Um, we can only speculate, which is what historians have done oh, about yeah. this situation. So to give you a little bit of history, uh, the BBC was first created in 1922. Okay. And it was made into the national broadcaster chartered by the Crown in 1927. The National... Oh, I see. Right, yes. <laughs> I thought you meant that was its name. Oh, right. No, no, no. <laughs> the National Broadcaster Chartered by the Crown. So the, the NBC... I think. Or CBC. Ah, yes. NCCBC. <laughs> no. NBCBC. NBCBC. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so effectively, it was... It kind of belonged to the nation in a way that was very very old-fashioned right and which did was it like it existed to stop us getting an american situation right so yeah. before 1922 there were a reasonable number of radio stations and people who were trying to start up radio stations yeah but they had to get permission to do it from the post office right i don't know why <laughs> The post office, in, in the sort of, there's a period of history in Britain when the post office wielded unimaginable power. I know, right? <laughs> it's so weird. Anyway, so apparently at one point there were like a hundred different people who'd written to go, could we could we have a radio license, please? Yeah. And the um, like commissioner of the post offices had to be like, no. <laughs> right. um, because they were worried that it would end up being like America and that it would become very... Um, consumerist i guess yeah like they were worried that people would be fighting over advertising revenue yeah i mean it it's kind of interesting when you look at the history of broadcast media that there's definitely been this sort of not rivalry but comparison between britain and america yeah um when i think it was around the time that britain first got its like first commercial tv station there was uproar about it despite america having had commercial tv for a very long time yeah but they pointed out i think it was queen elizabeth's coronation that the broadcast of it in america was 
paused because they put adverts in yeah and you can't do that yeah, that's Brit- shocking britain got very angry about this yes absolutely i mean as you should that's <laughs> our queen you can't do that <laughs> and so the first general manager and then later the first director general of the bbc mm-hmm. was john Wright, who i think later became sir john Wright. okay um he was a scottish calvinist right who was as moralistic as you would imagine yeah We've talked before when we talked about um, Robert Burns about the Scottish Church and yeah. it's intensity. Very, yeah, <laughs> it's very moralistic leanings. The fact that he used to fine people for getting pregnant, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, so he said that he wanted to broadcast all that is best in every department of human knowledge, endeavor and achievement. He said the preservation of a high moral tone is obviously of paramount importance. Next up is Love Island. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, what have I done? (laughs) I mean, he said, like, the idea was that you shouldn't, like, the broadcast should be acceptable to everyone. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they were actually trying to appeal to everybody. What it meant was that they didn't want to shock or offend a modest church-going elderly person in the 1930s. Which I think is probably even a step up from moral, (laughs) modest, church-going elderly people today. Yes, I think you're absolutely right there. So what this meant was that until 1928, entertainers broadcasting on the BBC, which meant both singers and talkers, by which I think they mean like comedians, uh, they were expected to avoid biblical quotations. Right. Clerical impersonations and references. Okay. References to drink. Yeah. Or prohibition in America. Right. Vulgar and doubtful matter. And political illusions. Right. Okay. So basically, they, like, everyone used to have to submit everything that they were going to say before they broadcast anything. Yeah. And it had to be checked to make sure that it was of the highest moral standing. Is this why mother-in-law jokes became big thing? Because that's about the only subject that isn't covered. I mean, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the mother-in-law joke became a really big thing because of World War Two. Oh, really? Yes, because of the bombings. So oh. a lot of mother-in-laws had to move in with yeah. their families and suddenly there was like this source of stress that a lot of people could relate to. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. But Especially... yes, also because the BBC would allow it, I assume. Yeah. So yeah, they also censored political broadcasts. Okay. So this came into a lot of criticism from a lot of the politicians at the time. I am the leader of the party. (laughs) Well, in 1935, they censored the broadcasts of both Oswald Mosley, because he was too much of a fascist. Yeah. And Harry Pollitt, who was the leader of the Communist Party of Great Britain. Oh, right. Well... Considering that those two factions were pretty heavily at war with each other, maybe they thought that if they broadcast it uncensored, it would inflame their respective followers and they would be fighting in the streets. Well, I think this is the thing. Like, fighting we know. In the streets of Worthing. <laughs> we know that these people got into fights. Yeah. And that's not highly moralistic, is it? No, absolutely not. Apparently, they also censored Winston Churchill at some points as well. <laughs> they knew then that he was aggressively racist. <laughs> I don't think that's a problem. No. <laughs> And at the same time, they didn't actually have their own news gathering sources until I think 1935. Okay. So that was when they started sending out, you know, journalists journalists to start picking up news. 
So they used to use Reuters, the Press Association, the Central News and the Exchange Telegraph Company. And they had a newsroom where they had those little ticker tapes. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So this really changed, I think, the way that they got news because they weren't getting it from people they knew. Yeah. Instead, they were getting these tapes that constantly came in. And the job of the editor and the broadcasters was to cut out the bits that they wanted right so when it comes to there is no news yeah it's kind of like we've looked over the news for today and we've decided that none of it's worthwhile so that or it turns out the ticker tape machine was broken <laughs> i mean wouldn't that be great it's like an ice cream machine from mcdonald's <laughs> yeah <laughs> it has just printed out a series of asterisks and stars and no news today. No news today. <laughs> no news today. There was no ticker tape that came through. We ran out of paper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Yeah. The whole thing's really weird. <laughs> there was too much news, if anything. We ran out of paper, and frankly, we couldn't be asked <laughs> to look through all the stuff that came through. Mm. So basically, this is one reason that they might have chosen not the ticker tape thing. I think that their ticker tape <laughs> machines were working. Yeah. Uh, but this is one reason why they did, They said there's no news was because they wanted all of their news to be moralistic and yeah. useful to the people. And they didn't think there was any useful news. Yeah. Like nowadays you'd publish, I don't know, Vox Pops or something. Yeah. You'd talk about what's happening with the working classes. But they didn't think the working classes was worthwhile listening to. Yeah. So they just said nothing's happened. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, now, obviously, there are so many ways for news organisations to just fill time. Yeah. But this is this is early days, and obviously it's, it's early days that are, as you say, they've got this strict sort of moral structure to them that they will mm. rigidly adhere to and won't sort of bend it. They're not, they're not really looking for ratings at this point. No, well, they don't need ratings. They're literally the only broadcasting yeah. service. No one else is allowed to be a broadcasting service. And also they've got this very elite viewpoint, which they still kind of hold on to today, but less mm. so, where the whole point is like the BBC is supposed to bring up the yeah. nation. And so that's why they don't report on working class things because they see up as being, yeah. you know, upper class, middle class. They think everyone should be interested in politics. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I mean, th there's a lot that can be said about the BBC at the moment and it's said loudly and aggressively by various people, uh, some of whom I have sympathy with, some of whom I definitely do not. Mm. I think that the BBC as an organisation is in a real bind and I would not want the job of the people in charge. Fortunately, the people in charge don't want that job either <laughs> because they've been appointed because they hate the BBC. So... Swings and roundabouts, I guess. Mm, hmm. I mean, at least they've got drama, which in 1930, they didn't yet. Oh, yeah. The first um, BBC radio drama was in 1931. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So at least they started to entertain a little bit, aside yeah. from saying, you know what the people need to improve themselves? Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Oswald Mosley and then Wagner. This is fascist hour on the BBC. Although, granted, Oswald Mosley is literally just beeps. Mm. Yeah. I think at this point they hadn't even brought in the pips to show the hour. Oh, okay. Like, super cute. Yeah. I love history with this kind of thing, to yeah. be honest. Like, you kind of go, oh, yeah, this is really elitist <laughs> and probably racist. But at the same time, they're doing some new it, stuff, you it's know? It's so charmingly British racism. <laughs> 
<laughs> at least they're censoring us Lord Mosley. What can we yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Instead of having him on, um, what was it, Question Time or what it? But what am I thinking of? Is it quite... Is it question time that you bring people on? Yes. Yes. Instead of having him on question time to present a balanced opinion. Yeah, very much so. This version of the BBC goes, nope, we are not having fascists, we're not having communists. (laughs) Mr Farage, we have read your application to be part of question time and we respectfully ask that you get in the sea. (laughs) Basically. So the other reason, which I think is more interesting, but there's less proof for it, mm-hmm. is that it might have been a political reason that they broadcast no news. Oh, okay. Um, so part of the BBC's remit was that they had to broadcast official government announcements. Right. And usually that meant things like advice about heavy traffic or saying, remember to post your parcels early before Christmas. Otherwise the post office going to get you. I mean, the post office <laughs> runs everything. So. <laughs> They'll send the post office heavies round. <laughs> We hear you didn't put enough stamps on your parcel last time. We know a guy who did that. Can't walk anymore. Oh, God. It's a post office. What am I going to say? That's true. Mafia crew. <laughs> Why did they run everything? I don't know. I don't know. I think it went on for longer than we expect as well. Almost definitely. Um. So... Yeah, so usually it's like nice messages like that, the kind of thing that people need to know or be reminded of. Yeah. However, uh, they wanted to ensure that they weren't just the government's mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Like, even at this time, they're trying to be a little bit more balanced. Yeah. Even if that balance means very central. Yeah. Um, So on the evening before Good Friday, the Home Office really wanted to deny a newspaper account of an interview with the Home Secretary. Right. Apparently, this whole thing was very shocking. I can't find out what this thing oh, was. No. I'm sorry. I really wanted to know. Ooh, well, if anyone out there knows what this was about, then do email in at ttwpod at gmail.com. Nicely done. Or post on Twitter at that time when for. Mm. <laughs> so, also, give us five stars on Spotify while we're at it. <laughs> do we need to do this at the end now? Or yes, are we, we do. Oh, my God. Fine. Um, so they wanted to deny that this was true. They wanted to say that the interview was made up. Like, right. they just wanted to, to deny the whole thing. I don't know what the Home Secretary did, <laughs> but it sounds... What did the Home Secretary do? I mean, it's the 1930s. Maybe he accidentally swore or something, <laughs> you know? It's really basic. He accidentally said, well... Maybe black people should be given equal rights as white people. (gasps) We must deny the Home Secretary ever said such drastic things. Maybe he suggested that Windrush people should be allowed to come (laughs) over. He said maybe immigration was good for the UK. (laughs) I mean, that's a line that I think the Home Secretary throughout the decades... Has tried to deny. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. So, the thing is, though, that it's Good Friday, so it's the Easter weekend, and people didn't used to publish newspapers at that time. Right. So that meant that the only way to get a message to the British people was through the BBC. Yeah. So, um, they contacted the BBC to ensure the denial was included in the evening radio news the day before Good Friday. Right. And then literally the next day, they go, there's no news. (laughs) We're not doing this again amazing at least that's one of the theories yeah. which I quite like yeah. it does kind of sound like you know what we're not doing this today yeah. we're not going to do what the government tells us we're just going to say no news for you <laughs> I mean 
yeah, that it's kind of a diplomatic way around that because mm. you're not refusing the government, but you're also not doing what they say. Yes, you just say, you know what? There's not enough to broadcast. Yeah, here's some lovely piano music. <laughs> it's the no comment of broadcasting. Yeah, <laughs> and isn't that just a delightful idea? I mean, it is more likely that they just looked at everything there was. There wasn't much that they could actually broadcast. The only thing that was really interesting was this siege that was happening in India. And they don't know shit all about it. (laughs) According to the ticker tape, one in four Britons are engaged in huge orgies at the moment. Well, we can't talk about that, can we? Can you imagine all the wonderful news that we never, like, we don't know about today because the the BBC couldn't broadcast it. And I'm assuming a lot of newspapers would have had similar moralistic views mm, yeah tragic people could have been orgying all over the place <laughs> and we would never have known i mean we know about the victorians they were up to all sorts of stuff i bet even in the 1930s like we're post-victorian obviously but yeah. i bet there's still some of that going on i mean we've had it's the interwar period you know yeah. the the gentlemen are currently not being blown to pieces so might as well bang <laughs> <laughs> Oh, pro- probably not bang that might you know bring up some trauma uh <laughs> it's um it's jeeves and worcester time isn't it oh yeah it is isn't it yeah so really people are just spending all their time stealing each other's cow creamers <laughs> <laughs> stealing each other's cow creamers and being beset by weird requests by aunts oh man yeah aunts <laughs> ran the place at this point <laughs> aunts and the post office <laughs> <laughs> what a weird like I was about to say dystopian. I'm not even sure it's that. It's just bizarre. It was a weird time, for (laughs) sure. And such a weird time that nothing happened. One day. Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4, and you can suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. I particularly want to thank Atlas Obscura today. I used a lot of their Mm. information in my writing. And thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music Barnaby's used in the pod. Hopefully he's written some nice 1930s era piano music. (laughs) Maybe, we'll see. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and there's no news today. Bye!